So may the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable to you, our Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We're celebrating today both All Saints and All Souls. We had All Saints in the morning and we have All Souls in the afternoon. In fact, All Saints, of course, belongs on the 1st of November and All Souls on the 2nd. Um, but they were a Wednesday and a Thursday, which wasn't terribly convenient um, from our point of view. All Saints is the time when we celebrate the great people of old, the great saints of old, the heroes, um, the, the things that worked and the people that succeeded and we can feel proud in them, even if they lost their lives and were martyred. All Souls is, if you like, in a minor key. All Souls is remembering everybody else, the ones sometimes that other people don't remember, the people who were great for us, the people who perhaps were not so great for us but were actually very important to us. We come here to remember those whom we've lost and we come, all of us, with mixed motives. For some, the wound has not yet closed, for it is a wound. It will be a scar, but in time, maybe at the time, it's still an open wound. Maybe because we won't let it close. We come here perhaps because some people have urged us to move on. Come on. This was a year ago, two years ago or something. You can't still be dwelling on the loss of your husband, your sister, your daughter, whatever it was. Move on, but you can't. You may be coming with anger still. Why did this happen? Anger with God for letting it happen. And the Psalms are full of David having a go at God in anger, so you're in good company there. Anger with other members of the family for not doing their bit. Angers with the carers. <coughs> or we come thinking nothing at all has changed. That we're still in the same state of bereavement, really. That all saints, all souls bit is, if you like, the posh story of our life in the church and the fragile human story of our life in the church. And we often think that all God, God wants is the posh story, the successful bits, the bits where we did the right things rather than the bits where we know we failed, <coughs> the bits where we're fragile, where we feared failure, where we felt foolishness, and maybe where we felt forgiveness, the real story. Some time ago, um, Kate Atkinson's novel, Behind the Scenes in the Museum, has perhaps a bit of insight into this. It's um, a 1995 novel, a tale of um, a family of four generations of females in immediate post-war years living in York. Um, the males where they are generally um, are in the pub and of no use. So it's a story of the women, and it's four generations. And Ruby, the daughter, in some distress, is looking to find out more details about her past. And she's rummaging around in a 
in a box in the attic, which sort of the, the family photos and trinkets and various things are stored. And in there, she finds a birth certificate. She not only finds her own birth certificate, Ruby's, she finds another one for Pearl, born on the same day. She's a twin. She never knew this. A rummage a bit later and she finds a death certificate, age four of Pearl, death by drowning. A bit more of a rummage, she finds a locket. And one of these lockets that you opened up and there's two sides to it. Two small children, two-year-olds, three-year-olds. She suspects that one's her and the other might be Pearl. But she grasps all this and comes downstairs and confronts her mother. Why did you never tell me that I was a twin? Why have you kept all this for me, from me? Why have you hidden it? Why haven't uh, we owned this? Why, why don't I know anything about this? Her mother, somewhat taken aback and also somewhat defensively, said, Ruby, dear, we did try to tell you, but it was you that wouldn't take it in, you that wouldn't hear it. Well, there was a fair time of mother and daughter talking to each other about this. And she produced the locket and said, Mum, which one's Pearl? And Mum points to one, and the tears start to come. That's my Pearl. That's Pearl. So mother and daughter talk more. They go back into the backstory. She asks questions. Mother asks questions. Things out of the memory that have been packed away somewhere securely because they were going to, going to damage your life or apparently damage your life and not be owned and recognized. But they're taken out and shared and Ruby and her mum share that. And they're making progress on this. There's a lot of tears, a lot of pain, but they are actually moving forward. And towards the end of the novel, there is another, an older sister, by the way, to there called Patricia. And Patricia has listened to, uh, to Ruby telling the story of Pearl over and over again. And after a bit, um, says to her sister, Ruby, you've got to move on, Ruby. You've got to leave the past behind. And Ruby turns around and says, no, the past is what you take with you. Every Sunday in this church, we break bread in communion. We break and fracture, in fact, usually a large, what we call a um, concelebration wafer, because it's got 24 bits in it. So we fracture something. And we say that we are all one body because we all share one bread, because the members of Christ are, sh are broken and shared among us, but we remember it both mentally in the Eucharist, but also symbolically in consuming the bread that has been one bread. And that is actually what Ruby was saying to her sister. You have to remember, you have to take the past with you, not leave it there in the past ignored, not leave it there to cause disturbance, but to bring it with you to remember your past. And that's actually the Christian story. And that's the wonderful thing 
in that reading that we had from Isaiah, our first reading. It's about the Jewish people with a promise in exile uh, that after exile they will return to Zion. They will come back. You must not forget what you had. God will bring you this back and it won't be the same thing. It'll be a new thing I'll do. And it talks about a highway shall be there on the way back and it'll be called the Holy Way. And the unclean won't travel on it, but it's for God's people. No traveller, not even fools, shall go astray. Which I find hugely comforting. In the Christian pilgrimage of owning the hard and the difficult bits of life and walking with God, being remembered in Christ. Even the fools will not go astray. The words that are often used in the funeral service from John's Gospel, um, chapter 14, I will come and take you to myself. Even the fools will be taken by Jesus to, them, to himself. So here, as we remember those who have gone before us with joy, sometimes with pain, sometimes with difficulty, some people have left difficult memories behind them. But let us remember on that journey, whoever we are, even the fools will not go astray. We're going to sing again when I can get to the thing and turn it on. And it's number 66. Well, <clears throat> what do I should get to it first? <clears throat> 